And welcome to Sonic Talk number 360. That's right. I think we're five days off, five episodes off, being able to listen to an episode of Sonic Talk every single day of the year, if that's the sort of thing that you would like to do. It could be something that you could do. So um, I guess that's a milestone. Five off a year. That's uh, astonishing. Thank you very much to uh, uh, one of our uh, chatties uh, for pointing that out last week. There's the chat room in full. We've got everybody there. Thank you very much for joining us. It's always good to have a fulsome chat room, as I'm supposed to say every week. Uh, right, um, so let's let's crack on. Uh, obviously, this week we've got uh, a winner for the Isotope competition. Isotope are sponsoring the show. I want to say thank you very much to them for their continued sponsorship of the show. And we've got a full panel as well. So why don't we just get straight in and start um, introducing them? That would seem to be the done thing. Dave Spears, g4software.com, makers of fine musical uh, software, musical instruments, and hoarders of the electronic vintage kind. As I keep teasing him about, and he looks like, oh, I don't know what you mean, but you are looking guilty, and so you should be. How really are you? guilty. We got, we got a whole load turning up tomorrow. Oh. I don't know where it's going to go. Anyway, yes. Thank you. Yes, nice to be here. Nice to see you. Uh, well, um, I'm glad, yeah. glad you for joining us um, this sunny day. Is it sunny where you are? I think it's nearly sunny here. but It's not quite... really hot in here. My fan on the laptop has kind of gone into overdrive mode. Uh, I've, just, I've just kind of picked it up and it's it, really hot. It's so. melting the formica underneath your... Uh, underneath. It's actually resting on two A to Z of analog synthesizer books and they are really hot. So if it combusts... What a way to go though, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dave Spears, thank you very much for joining us. I'm hitting in sort of dark. I didn't really turn all the lights on today. I just sort of was feeling a bit dingy. So that's the way I'm going to stay uh, just for now. Um, but yes, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll also go over to, well, let's cross the pond and say Mr. Rich Hilton. Hi to Rich Hilton. Rich Hilton, of course, is keyboard player with Chic. Travelling the globe at the drop of a hat or guitar or plectrum or USB stick. And also uh, mans the controls for Nile Rogers' private studio where they work on a huge variety of musical projects. How are you, Rich? I'm very well, thank you. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you're just a tiny bit quieter than usual, Rich. I don't know if that's me or you, but uh, my failures are in the same place. I know I've spent the entire pre-show saying I haven't touched anything, but... <laughs> Honestly, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, well, I could certainly give you a bit more. That would be awesome. But anyway, um, how are you? Are you well? Yes, thank you. Very well. Jolly good. I think there's some noise gating going on. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, let me just. I hear what I was describing to you earlier back again. Oh, yes, that's right. That must maybe it's just one of those bad Skype days. I don't know why that might be. I don't touch the channels for this setup at all. But anyway, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope you're having exciting times where you are. I guess you're probably warming up for a whole slew of festival gigs with Chic, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's some gigs coming up. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, anyway, um, maybe we'll see you this side of the pond. Our yearly, our annual meetup sometime somewhere. Are you playing in Bristol again? No, we're not playing in Bristol that I know of. We're playing... 
two other places, the names of which escape me. One is outside of London to the north and east, and the other one is north of Birmingham, uh, a festival called V Festival. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I recall at the moment. There may be more, but there's not a Bristol right now. Oh, well, um, I'll just have to drive further. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Rich. A pleasure to have you aboard. Uh, Now we'll go over to, um, let's go and say hi to Gaz Williams, who's there in Bristol. Gaz, of course, professional bass player, music producer, a lot of mastering engineer, gazwilliams.me, and music technologist and co-host of the excellent Sonic Touch podcast. How are you, Gaz? (laughs) Yeah, good, thank you. Um, been very, very busy, so that's always good. Uh, but doing lots and lots of work, music work. Um, I'm trying to get bit, learn Bitwig. <laughs> ah, yes, Gaz, of course, going to be doing a bit of uh, get Bitwig action for us at some point in the near, near future. Something to watch out for, I might add. Yes. So, yeah, so that's been, uh, you know, tr- I've been trying to do some of the work that I've had to have been doing in Bitwig. So ah, okay. Really putting it into... Um, you know, putting really putting it through its paces. That's very brave, considering we're talking about a version one software release, mate. <laughs> I appreciate you taking that diligence. I must say. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but yeah, lots, lots of, uh, lots of opinions. That's for sure. Excellent. Well, we'll stay tuned for that uh, very soon. Thank you very much. And of course, uh, we'll now rock over to Mr. Mark Tinley, who's there, looking like a professional broadcaster. Like you got a little voiceover studio mm, there. That's very BBC. You, you've it? even got the clock in the background and everything. That's awesome. I've got the chins as well, you know, and the cheeks. I think there must be quite a delay from where you are because it says nine minutes past there and it says uh, eleven minutes past here. So uh, I don't know what that that is about, but. <laughs> That's very odd because I'm on the Swiss uh, atomic clock. Must be my clock. Look, I'm, I'm doing a tarot reading for the show. I'm going to see what. Let's see what we've got. <laughs> the sun dancers. Look at that. We can be the sun dancers today. I'll take it. Got, got to do this. I'm in Glastonbury, you see, so I have to be esoteric. And so, everything. are you brushing up on all your um, new age skills now you've moved there? Is that you're t- taking the mandatory course in uh, new agedom? Um. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't really need to do... I just, you know, all I've got to do is walk onto the high street and I'm overwhelmed with everyone else's new age skills. And because I understand lots of the terminology, I can just kind of weave in, you know. Excellent. Uh, Blending so, like a... Chilling sure like a I'd resident. A, if, I, if I chose to do readings, actually, tarot readings or runes or to do Reiki or energy healing or any of that, I'd make a lot more money than I do making... <laughs> Uh, by being a musician so. <laughs> maybe you need to combine yeah, the two space you know i might just jump ship <laughs> <laughs> well we'll, ha- growth area. we'll still so have you aboard whatever we'll, we still want you for what whatever happens so uh, thank you very much mark right um <laughs> l- let's well let's start shall we i've got this uh, pretty cool instrument I think it plays some audio. This is the uh, this is the sample modelling Swarm engine, and this is uh, flutes, <laughs> uh, which I think it's actually going to say something in a minute. I hope so, because um, there doesn't seem to be any noise. No, it would have said something by now. It would have, wouldn't it? Uh, no, it, uh, look at that. It is very expressive, I must say. a bit later on which I'm going to get to as well because it plays um, 
he, the gentleman in question, plays uh, with a breath controller, and it really does. Uh, let me see if I can fast forward it a bit to where. Yeah, here we go. This is controller map with breath controller, and it's astonishing. Anyway, that's really, I mean, where I was coming from with this was, this is the new um, sample modelling product uh, called Flutes, and it's actually quite an interesting um, mixture of sampling and something that they call, now what do they call it? They call it, uh, it's a it, it, synchronous wavelength acoustic modelling developed by Stefano Lucato, and uh, they've got a whole suite of uh, instruments, including uh, an amazing tenor sax, which I'll play a bit later on as well. Some awesome demos on this. I mean, okay, you know, you might not need a flute so much in these non-jazz uh, fusion jazz funk days, um, but it was pretty authentic, do you not think? Rich, I'm going to go to you, because you probably recorded flutes, and uh, the whole interest, that the the idea of sort of model, modelled instruments that are becoming more and more expressive and closer and closer, I mean, it's only going to get it's only going to get better, surely, as we develop techniques to actually control them, I suppose. Well, that sounded good to me. And I liked the variety of articulations he could get with the breath controller. Yeah, the breath controller he, is, is a good... He, I'm sorry. When he played it straight from the keyboard, it sounded kind of keyboardy to me. Yeah. Uh, the art, at that point, the attack of the... It's almost like D50, where the attack is very realistic, and then what follows is somewhat static unless you unstatic it right with the exp with the, with the help of the expression i think it's one of those things uh, in fact there's a lot of demos on their site where they're using uh ewe controllers the uh wind controllers to get the most out of them and that they are incredibly expressive uh, as well i mean you can get i mean if you know what you're doing i suppose i mean that's the thing you need to learn how to play but they incorporate obviously the breath controller as well uh this thing is um it's about 200 euros. It's uh, 229 euros. So it's not, a, 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 you know, what you consider a, a amazingly cheap instrument. But I'm guessing if you're doing a lot of, you know, if you need flute and you can't afford a flute player, it's probably cheaper than a session. I don't know. Uh, Gaz, would you got much ex experience with modelled instruments? Um, well, at Piano Tech, when that came out, I was doing a project which was... Um, involving triggering piano sounds using percussion midi um and when piano tech came out the difference in how enjoyable it was to play with piano tech compared to uh sample based pianos it made it 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 felt like because every note i was hitting was being created rather than just triggering some other moment in time you know that the sample was the fact that it just everything kind of was being created in the, in real time. I don't know. For me, it made it amazing. So I'm re I've become a big fan of models, much more than sample-based. Um, but I think Piano Tech and the various other Piano Tech expansions are really good as well. There's like a Fender Rhodes and a Whirly. Uh, that, I mean, I suppose the, the thing with modeling and with that like Piano Tech thing, maybe just a snapshot if you listen to it from a listener perspective the um the 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 sample based piano might sound more realistic but from a playing perspective just the fact that it's an organic and reactive instrument now i'm i'm assuming that that flute would have a similar feel to it i'd, I'd need to try it but uh 
but yeah, just to answer your question, yeah, I've played around with a lot of modeling stuff over the years and I'm, I'm very interested in it. It's interesting what you say about uh, piano tech uh, and the fact that when you're playing it, it has, a, you know, maybe it's not the fully, fully realistic or maybe, you know, it's become it's become more so. But I guess you could use something like that to actually perform with and then play it back via a different sample library. I don't know. Dave, you've I mean, you know, you make modeled instruments, albeit electronically. Um, the nuance that you can get acoustically, I mean, I'm guessing there are similar um uh, probably under the hood stuff that we don't know that goes on in your instruments that require responses that are of a similar nature, right? Well, I mean, what we do is component modelling, which is obviously slightly different to physical modelling. Physical modelling would be where you would... Uh, I mean, it's all about measurements, effectively, so you would measure certain parameters and then you would factor that into the kind of equation. This looks like a kind of hybrid, really, of... Obviously, it's sample-based at the core, but then it looks like they've got some kind of sample manipulation, probably resynthesis system. I'm assuming that they're calling modelling, and that you would basically analyse the changes between different samples recorded at you know different intervals and different spaces and different octaves and all this kind of stuff, and then kind of interpolate them uh, between those. And I, it's interesting for me because all of this tends to fly or fall on the strength of the player and things like where he had the breath controller. I mean, I've seen this amazing video of this guy, I think it's Jean-Philippe Reichel, a keyboard player, who's just playing one of those little Yamaha CSO1s with a breath controller. And he seems to kind of climb in the instrument and he makes this tiny little weedy, you know, normally weedy little Yamaha monosynth sound absolutely amazing. And for me, that's the kind of... Oh, that's interesting. The real trick where he's doing the flutter tonguing and stuff like that, you know, that really brings out the kind of expression in the instrument, and and, and that's the player. That's interesting. The CSO one was very much. Um, I, I remember it back in the day. It was very much sold on the breath controller aspect to it, wasn't it? They came as a pair, or did you get it as an accessory? But it was a, it, the idea. You know, it's a little tiny synth. It was a strap-on kind of thing, wasn't it? That you would have a, you know, have your tube going in it as well, and then you would have that breath controller going on too. Uh, I forgot yeah, little about mini, that. little mini keys, and I mean, if you want to buy a breadth controller now, well, in fact, you even had the option to put them into DX7s and stuff like that. But obviously, it would depend, you know, where it's rooted to and all that kind of stuff. Which this looked like it had kind of been pre uh, pre organised for you. But they are, I mean, if you want a, a kind of un, unused, because let's face it, no one wants a second hand one controller <laughs> on eBay. You're probably Hardly talking, used. you know, hundred no bucks plus. Really, yeah. for a breath controller? Yeah. That's yeah, interesting yeah. because you can get the Ewees, which have got breath control in them, the, the um, uh, you know, the, the, the Akai do one and Yamaha do, and it's not an Ewee, um, they do one as well, which is like a, uh, I guess, saxophone fingering kind of thing, and that gives you all of that uh, stuff. I'll tell you a bit about that in a bit, actually. I'll just come to Mark as well. Modelled instruments, I'm guessing, because, I mean, you, 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 you're into, heavily into the whole... Um, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten what we, what it's called. The, uh, the 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 reverb convolution. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, so modelling, I imagine modelling does appeal to you. Did you ever have any of the Casio modeling. stuff? Did they do modelling? Was there a VL? No, but I'll tell you what we Yamaha? had. We had a Yamaha oh, VL one right. in nineteen ninety four. So that must be twenty years ago, I suppose. And that was really good, actually. But where it fell down was that nobody could play the damn thing. So it sounded like. It sounded like a saxophone, and uh, there was another other wind instruments, like a lovely bassoon, like a really lovely toned bassoon. But uh, not a lot of use you know, for it. And, uh, Twenty years I, ago in music, I'd imagine bassoons and uh, flutes. 
No, we used it on the Medazzaland album, actually. Oh, right, okay. We used it quite a lot for all sorts of different things. I mean, well, Duran Duran Rio, that's all about saxophone, isn't it? So I, I suppose uh, so. We, there was, you know, various saxophone players come and go and do things. Uh, or we try to emulate it with synthesizers and, you know, I mean, it, it, it kind of had a nice tone to it, but it just sounded really static and flat. Right, go on. And sample somebody playing in a saxophone, even if they try to make it sound static and flat so you can turn it into a library that people can then manipulate, the player is always going to put some yeah. kind of uh, signature on that sound and then samplers, good samples of it, are players who've put a good signature on it and poor samples of saxophones are probably ones with no signature at all that sound like they need some kind of breath control or some kind of, you know, it's dynamics, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right there. The way a wind wind instrument changes so dramatically with dynamics that if you haven't got that, uh, then you might as well go, (laughs) do it with your voice. (laughs) The emulator 2 sample that Peter gave you. Oh, yeah, the Shakuachi, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, there was a there was a little element of that when he brought the breath controller out. I had to say I didn't want to didn't want to bring it up, but I think somebody has to learn to play it to make it work. And then when they learn to play it, like Dave says, the expressivity of it brought to the sound, bringing expressiveness to the sound means that the sound doesn't actually have to be quite as good as a sample. So it's kind it's you know I mean and if those things come up in neck and neck, then maybe this thing's gonna you know, be re- really something. But yeah. I mean, it sounded it sounded good to me when he was playing it off the keyboard. When he played it with the breath controller, what he was playing to me sounded less like something I would expect a flute to say, play, but then I don't listen to I suppose to a bit over-expressive, is it, if there's any... Over-expressing sounds like something yeah. something that... I don't uh, listen to enough of that kind of... That particular musical scale he played sounded like right. sort of, you know... Uh, what's it called? Uh... Jazz fusion, yeah. Yes, there's that. Uh, just quickly, I don't listen to that really. Sorry. No, in the chat room, Andy Keys said that uh, he had his mate had a VL one. He paid four four grand for it. So I mean, that that that's 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 going some. I don't know if that was new. There's, I know they were very rack. expensive. There's a, sorry. There's uh, there's a rack uh, that's that's really popular. I can't remember what that is, but, but there was a polyphonic version which was a VP one, and they only made such a tiny amount of these. They are going for an absolute fortune now. They must have had quite a yeah, lot. They made like, like five or something. Wow. No, really? To... Yeah, it was insane. Because one of them the was on stage with us in Japan. V- oh, really? Yeah. The, I think the Yamaha thing that we had was a VL, VL one and it was a rack. I'm sure it was a VL one. Had yeah. a sort of, did it have a teak finish? Yeah. Oh, did you get to no, play it, Rich? The keyboard to... version had so, teak finish on it. Did you get to play it, Rich? Or hear did it? Did you play the one? I, I didn't play it. Philippe Says, who was playing with Sheik at the time, played it and played it magnificently and used the breath controller with it, and it was great. It's interesting that the breath controller hasn't really kind of... It never, you know, because when... This is something... We shot um, a couple of weeks ago, we shot, as I think I said, uh, a piece with uh, Will Gregory and the Moog Ensemble, and two of the players were playing with Iwi instruments. Uh, Will was playing the Mini Moog, and uh, there was another chap, I forget his name now, he was playing the Artoria uh, Mini Brute. And the level of expression that brought to the party, 
if you close your eyes and you were sort of immersed, it, it actually sounded like brass or woodwind instruments were playing those parts because of the level of control. And that was the thing that was really... Uh, that, that's what I suppose the thing is, is, you know, as keyboard players, we tend not, you know, we tend to you know, maybe sustain pedal and a, and a volume knob, generally speaking. That extra expression that you get with a, a, even just a volume pedal is, you know, really actually very powerful and something that we don't, I certainly haven't explored very much. I know, Rich, I'd imagine you probably uh, are, are more likely to use it because in a live situation, you need to be much more in control of your dynamics very quickly. Well, I might be. But I never have. Um, <laughs> excuse me. But what I think this calls up is how distancing ourselves from the vibration, which I've talked about mm. before. One of the prices we pay is an incredibly narrow range of articulations from which we're drawing. And so now we present music that has a very, very, a much more limited range of articulations than the music that was presented 50 years ago. Yeah, even just by playing, yeah, you know, I guess electronic music because we're tr yeah, everything's triggered. Everything is got a start that's been proscribed prior to your getting there. And if anything, you're you know translating velocity to uh, attack time so that you can soften it up when you want to. But still, the the range of articulations is much less. It's actually given that yeah. distance between us and the vibration. When you're touching the vibration or blowing the vibration or whatever, you're, if you're part of the vibration, you have a tremendous range of articulation available to you. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think the other thing is obviously uh, trying to get that level expression programmed into a, a generally a sort of synth-style keyboard requires a, an, a, a much greater degree of control than perhaps, you know, an expression pedal or a foot pedal. I know, Gaz, you've been looking at the... Um, the Sonus, uh, not Wahoo, but the volume pedal, have you found that you've been using expression? I mean, I guess if you're playing like a bass, you've got built-in expression because you're connected to the instrument, so you don't have the same kind of disconnection that you would with maybe a synthesizer or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is a, I'm very, very interested in this topic. Uh, with the MIDI bass stuff that I play, um, the GR55 <laughs> is, is good in that respect because you can set up a nuance value and the nuance value is uh, like a modulator that you sort of effectively trigger with uh, your playing dynamics. Uh, so it, it, when you start to map that stuff around, and you have to play with the sensitivity quite a lot, so the sensitivity matches your your own sort of playing. And I think that that's something that a lot of players don't spend enough time doing when they play when they're when they're a player of one instrument and they're trying to sort of learn. Oh, you know, they're trying to use some sort of MIDI. It's just really, I think it's quite time-consuming setting the sensitivity right. When you get the sensitivity absolutely spot on, then it then it becomes an extension. You know, then you can really channel that uh, player expression through your instrument. I'd like. I, I think I'm. 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 I'd like to find a way of, um, you know, maybe trying breath controller in, in an analog sense and 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 doing that because I think that would be something that'd be quite interesting. I think Will had it mapped to the filter, so the filter just kind of opens depending on whatever the technique he was using on the Ewe. I forget he had the no, he had the Yamaha one, but he's also an incredibly talented saxophonist, which you perhaps wouldn't know. Uh, you know, world class has been world class kind of concert 
sort of standard. So his ability to play the instrument is probably greater than any of us, or certainly myself anyway. But it really mm. made a massive difference to the way that it all sounded. I know, Dave, did you, because um, you've seen that um, Moog Orchestra, I don't think they were using Ewees last time they played, but I think on this round of gigs, which are coming up, they, they are. And it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, you're surrounded by electronic instruments. I mean, are you, are you using CV pedals or any of that sort of thing to add extra expression, or do you just stick your finger on the filter? Yeah, no, yeah. I do use a lot of expression pedals. I find it's really neat to use things like, you know, expression pedals and uh, obviously breadth controllers and stuff like that, and then just put them all through a massive maximizer. <laughs> <laughs> just completely eliminate everything you've spent four hours on doing and just maximize it all. Uh, no. <laughs> But there's one there's one real key thing here, and that is, you need to when you are trying to play, like a flautist or a cellist or a guitarist from a keyboard perspective, you need to understand the sensibility of that instrument because it's the yeah. way certain scales and certain yeah. chords are played. And I used to watch guitarists, uh, kind of absolutely massively all the time and ask them to break down chords and stuff, and then I'd kind of copy them. And as a result, you know, I'm playing chords that have got, like, a huge expanse on them, which yeah. for a guitarist is kind of no no effort at all. But from a keyboard perspective, is very, very different. And I think that's the real trick if you want to really emulate stuff. All the expression and everything is great, but if you don't study that instrument and understand how it's played, it's just going to sound like a kind of badly played version of it uh, so you're the guy who plays all those lead guitar solos are you on the midi on the, on the workstations <laughs> you've been working it all out <laughs> I, I just I sent you a video on that didn't i yes um, you made that no. sorry. <laughs> mark, mark, sorry mark mark wanted to come yeah, in yeah i i work out all my guitar parts on the guitar and then i transpose the inversions that i have on the guitar to the keyboard but then i also play keyboards on the guitar with a MIDI guitar, so all of my keyboard inversions are really weird. So if you listen to some of the, like, Medazzaland is a really good that album, or the one that came after that, lots of the keyboard inversions are really weird. You'd need massive fingers to play them. Ah, because, because you play their MIDI... Upside down. Ah, well, that's good. Can I, mean, I just I... talk about one other modeling thing? Yeah, actually. sure. There was a Technics keyboard. We got this Technics keyboard in the middle of the 90s, and it, and it had all these different building blocks, and you could have... You'd start with a, a, I think it had a resonator um, and a, a sort of a sound source. So you could start with a reed or a string or a hammer or a pluck or whatever. And you could build these kind of hybrid instruments. And I always, in my imagination, I imagined that like blowing a guitar string through a grand piano would sound like utterly amazing and I'd be able to create all these things like uh, you know like all those kind of prepared piano kind of sounds but that sounded like flutes were the source of that or saxes or whatever and it was just rubbish <laughs> and I wish somebody would just recreate that concept and maybe it did work like it would have worked in the real world and if I went and did those things they would also sound a bit rubbish but I would I would guess not because Diego Stocco is a an example of creating really interesting instruments in the real world and then recording them and making fabulous sounds with them but if somebody could make that work like my imagination so I could imagine that I put like a Bosendorfer piano over a cellist kind of input and like you know i've got like i want it to be like a pedal board with all these different blocks and I, and I can just drop a block in and it changes the sound and i can play it from the guitar or the keyboard and just sort of 
have these, you know, because synthesis has come so far, hasn't it? And it needs to kind of burst out into somewhere new now. We've had the granular time stretchy stuff. We can, we can time travel literally within our sounds. We need to like now create like a new landscape or a new environment or something like, I mean, I, and then again, Iris is mind blowing, but I'm talking about, you know, something in addition to that, but in a slightly different direction, things that, can we can physically model our own building mm. blocks and experiment it's with them? Well, it's interesting. I've got them. good news. <laughs> Have you? There's well, a product by a, a, there's a, pro a product by Applied Acoustics called String Studio that uh, purports and on some level does what you're describing. It doesn't have an infinite number of sources on okay, which to draw. Okay, I was draw. very excited by that. I was very excited by that piece of software, and I tried it a while ago. So unless it's vastly improved, it's still not quite going where my imagination is going. Well, it's just what was called to mind as you described what you were after, because that's as close as I've seen so mm. far. Yeah. Although They've Diego's descriptions could work like that. What, di what Diego described with using convolution might work well in that regard. No, that's interesting. There's no, a lot. Really I've tried that, and it doesn't really work. There's a lot oh, no, of, sort of uh, sorry. There's a lot of chat room action um, saying talking about the Technics WSA1, uh, which I don't know at all. But I'm guessing that must be some sort of modelling uh, keyboard synthesizer. Apparently, the X Files was done on it, um, amongst many other things. Uh, I can't familiarise myself that's with the one I'm. That's the one I mean. Yeah, the Technics WSA1. That's the one we had. It doesn't. It doesn't really like it. It kind of. So it's going to do something that it doesn't doesn't really quite do. So. Well, I imagine the processing power involved in this and the, and the kind of mathematical side of it. it I think it's the same as has happened with uh, electronic instruments. You know, the modelling has become sort of so good. You know, with people like GeForce and also Zills Lab. You know, just sort of took the component modeling to another level i think maybe the physical or acoustic modeling is waiting for that you know that magic mathematical breakthrough sorry dave you want to come in there yeah no 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 and, and it's, it's kind of exactly the point and what's really interesting is that physical modeling was touted as the kind of next big thing in the 90s mm. and yet here we yeah. are kind of 20 years later and there's been no huge inventive leaps has there well i guess and we've got all of this processing power at our hands. aas would probably beg to differ uh, and I, I but i'm not familiar with a lot of their stuff so i, I think it's not fair to kind of comment too much I, no no I, 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 I just in a way it's not become as ubiquitous as you would have thought given the kind of you know hype that surrounded it in the early 90s mm. with the yeah, yeah. Stuff. It must have been a heck of a lot of investment in the r&d for that sorry guys yeah uh, well one of the problems with the sort of the physical modeling since I've played, I, and I played on a Yamaha, uh, the VL1, uh, I, I borrowed one for a while, um, is that programming isn't really that interesting on it. Or rather, you've got so many parameters and you have to, and of course, the interfaces on those things was really restrictive, you know, small little, else, uh, uh, small little screen, etc. But uh, similarly with um, like the Alesis Fusion that came out with um, you know it had all the different it had the FM engine the yeah. analog modeling engine but it also had a physical modeling uh, section there was various mo uh, en engines in that and it was okay it was a nod in the right direction but again when you play around with the parameters it's just it's not an know, enjoyable you, process not as enjoyable as say subtractive synthesis for instance right. you know where you get lots of joy out of it just manipulating the sounds that's what i think you would 
you'd need a, a different uh, approach, I think, to, uh, you know, maybe like a very graphical thing that, that you know, mm. that, that, that's... That that's not a, like adjusting parameters, but maybe just adjusting yeah, yeah, moods. Yeah. Or I think that's a, you know, I think that's a very valid point. Uh, we uh, this topic has had far more legs than I'd anticipated. We should probably uh, now uh, quickly go to uh, a word from our sponsors. Uh, Iris were mentioned, of course. So I will quickly. If you stay tuned, uh, we have a winner for last week's podcast, uh, RX Three. But uh, we're also going to have another competition. This week, so if I play uh, my advert, you will be able to see it. So, uh, yes, Isotope RX, I- Isotope Iris, in fact, this is a groundbreaking sample based synthesizer that had its roots actually on Sonic Talk, um, which is all I'm very proud of, and uh, so so it, we should be. It's a new spin on sound design, it's a visual instrument that's perfect for inspiration and sonic exp- experimentation. This is music from glass and various things, natural uh, in- intuitive selection tools, you can manipulate your audio visually. You can see an image of your sound and draw and select individual events. There's shape shape shifting, apply synthesis controls to your selections and layers, shape and morph new textures, sound sculpting, enjoy warm, lush filters, delays, lots of effects and distortions. Plenty of sound libraries as well. Mix of wood, glass, food, toys, voice, altered and prepared objects, as well as crazy modular synthesizers and pitch percussion. You can download a free 10-day demo of Isotope Iris today, isotope.com forward slash iris. And there's a sale through May 30th on Iris and the Iris Plus 8 bundle, which includes all eight Iris sound libraries. So do check it out, isotope.com forward slash iris. And we want to say thank you very much to Isotope for sponsoring the show. And of course, last week we did actually have a competition. And if you recall, uh, the competition competition was um, a, a, a Twitter-based competition, and uh, the winner is uh, of RX3, who's won the RX3, is King Vidiot, who I'm pretty sure has been in the chat room a few times, uh, and he is a Twitter user, and he tweeted RX3D Reverb at Sonic Nick and at Isotopic. And in fact, we've got another competition this week, and you can win Iris 2. So I go here, here are the instructions. You can win Isotope Iris. But with the hashtag, you need to be on Twitter for this. This is uh, the only limit but it's, uh, it seems to be going very well, and uh, you could always join just to, just for the heck of it. Um, hashtag synthesize anything, and at Sonic Nick and at Isotope. I've got a little search that just kind of grabs all of that and gives me a big list, and then I pick a random winner from it. So if you want to enter that competition, go for it, and we will announce. I don't think I'll be able to announce the winner next week because... Uh, there's no live show because I'm going to a wedding. Um, but I'll do two the week after because hopefully we've got uh, an interview being placed. So I'll just run that by you again. Tweet the hashtag at, uh, sorry, hashtag synthesize anything at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. So there we are. Thank you very much. Um, right. Gosh, that was, uh, that was a, an interesting one. Let's have a look. Um, ah, yes. Robot band. Why the hell not? We haven't had one of those for a while. This is KX and Z, and this is an astonisher. Basically, this guy. I, what what surprises me more than anything? I mean, the music is fine, and it's you know I'm quite happy with it. But the level of work that must have gone into just creating this, when you could have done it with MIDI sequencing, is just mind blowing. Let me see if I can fast forward it so it gets going. You can see it starts getting a bit more exciting. There's a lot of instruments that are going on. There's a dope for system. Looks like a system 100 or is that a 700? I can't tell. Here we go. Nice setup. Let's go. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, look at that. That's a System 700, isn't it? And there's a CS15 there as well. I've got one of those over there. Awesome. You can find, you can buy that, actually. It's at the, um, at the Kinetic X is the name of the guy. Uh, a robotic drum set and analog bass. You can download it for uh, one New Zealand dollar, and he's actually going to be, uh, all proceeds from the purchase of this track will go towards a trip to London to present a paper about musical robots in 2014, which I think is a is a great concept. What, what, what I mean... Aside from the amount of work that must have gone into this, there's an there's an aspect of um, kind of garden, man in shed DIY kind of to this, which really fascinates me. Uh, I don't know, Gaz, did, did you did you find it fascinating? Were you kind of thinking there was a big question mark for me as to why you would, but I'm glad he did, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's good fun, isn't it? Um, it sounded like he's putting up a shed actually. The the, the music. Um... <laughs> <laughs> drum kit, you dropped the drum kit down the drum kit fell down the stairs that's always the joke about drum and bass wasn't it uh, uh, but yeah I mean it's great isn't it I love it when people spend stupid amounts of time doing silly things it's very good <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it certainly I mean you know do you remember we covered the um, Pat Metheny orchestrion yes, project that's right. uh, a couple of years back and he was uh, essentially that took this to another level, didn't it? Because it was entirely interactive to the player. So, you know, he could have all sorts of stuff going on, but control it all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, great. Yeah, I don't know much more to say. No, fair enough. I get up, uh, Rich. You, you, of course, saw the Pat Metheny Orchestron. And uh, I think you told us about, uh, you know, the, the kind of, this sort of lumbering, wheezing thing they rolled on stage to kind of make it work. I mean, can imagine, we, we, well, I think we talked about the... Uh, the challenges of being the keyboard tech for that gig must have been Or the legion. mechanical tech, worse yet. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't lumbering at all. And what was stunning about it is he could play instruments from his guitar live on stage and switch between them as he chose. Wow. He was. This was technology on a whole other level. I respect what this guy did that we just played, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it. And the whole uh, homebrew aspect of it is also romantic to me. But... Uh, and he wants to present a paper, go watch the Orchestrion tour. They took it from, from stage to stage, night after night. Excellent. I can't imagine how much work that was involved. It, but it's an interesting concept, isn't it? There's a sort of... I don't know what it is in in men, generally, that kind of... I, I'm assuming this person is a man. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but there's this sort of... Uh, obsessive DIY aspect to it. I, 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 it's, it's, it, it fascinates me. I don't know, Mark. I'm, I'm wondering whether or not you might have a, a, um, a, a thing or two in, you know. Uh, it's a pioneering kind of aspect, isn't it? It's a like, oh, all these things. What can I do to all these things? Then what's it? Uh, you know, what it's. Uh, what I got a sense of when I watched that clip is that it had almost like a consciousness of its own. So I'm guessing that he's not MIDI programming. All of those, some of those oscillators and things are running free aren't they so they're there's i guess yeah i don't know things happening there and maybe the i would love to think that the drums are being programmed by like an lfo with sample and hold and it's like it's playing those beats because something's randomly kind of kicking off off you know the the, the little uh, what are they called relays or whatever so i mean i got a real i got a feel when you saw uh, about halfway through that, when you, when it showed the wall of Moogs, I got a feel like 
God, if you were in the middle of that, it would be like being in the presence of another form of consciousness. So it's like he's created a being. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, idea. But I get another tarot card out. Yeah, no, which one? I mean, no, really. It's, just, it's, like, it's like he's taking it somewhere else. And much as I love Pat Metheny and I do like some of his music, I think I would, I think I like this better. Actually. You'd rather I listen to Drum and Bass than Major Ninths, I know that. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, just uh, quickly, really... there is actually, uh, let me see what was on there. Uh, modular System, Roland 100M, sub bass, Roland System 700 basses, Dope for System, Stabs and Atmospheric Sound, CS10, not CS15, Studio Electronics Omega 8 chords and atmospheric sound Korg Monotron duo more basses there's quite a lot of basses in there I guess it's so drum it and bass it reminded me a little bit of SPK can you remember the band SPK I vaguely do yeah in the late 80s or early 80s actually oh uh, yes I think so it's that sort of like screeching thing I know Dave really? all you need is a couple you, what, you oh. know if you had like a, <coughs> a, um, a couple of drums there and a few relays you could, you'd be there in you know I don't know a couple of months it's this idea that, because I've always been approached by people who go, oh, I've got this idea, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. And very few of those actually do. Whereas this guy really did it, didn't he? Yeah. He obviously went, to, went into his missus and went, I'm not going to be around for a little while because I've got this idea. <laughs> and then he did it. And then he must have came out. And it's like, I, I spoke to Nick Bookman the other day who said that he'd finished building that ARP 2600 kit form, you know, where you have to buy all the individual components and solder it to the board that's supplied. And I think when he said, when he finished it, he kind of said to his wife, oh, do you want to look at it? And she went, no, I couldn't care less. <laughs> and I wonder whether this, this guy had the same kind of experience. <laughs> and, uh, no, aside from that, I thought it was, yeah, very good. Uh, although I have to say that, Jim B annoyed me a little bit or whatever it was because I was like I do love my drum and bass and it kind of irritated me a little bit I was like oh he could have used it there could have been a juggler anyway, there, there, was, there could have been a juggler lurking off uh, off camera there at any point couldn't there really it could have been <laughs> yeah yeah I really liked it I'm just picking holes for the but good bit. stuff yeah so if you want to uh, if you want to get hold of it uh, K xnzbandcamp.com forward slash releases you can buy it for a buck and help support him and get him over here and he can you're uh, not going to support him with a buck though are you you're no but you know at least 10 bucks for it surely well it says a minimum of a buck I think we should all pay more oh does it say minimum but I think it just says buy now one New Zealand dollar I thought it was you can pay any amount that you like on Bandcamp can't you okay well Mark you can pay as much but, as you want then I'm going to pay <laughs> A, a okay, <laughs> New Zealand dollar. I'm not to sure buy what my that. Son a car, so I'm not feeling very flush at the moment. No, I can imagine that must be a fairly uh, costly uh, experience. Um, okay, right. Well, there's. A, the, I think we'll probably move on to this last topic because it sort of incorporates another couple of things. Because obviously. Um, there was news that there was also a logic release 10.0.7, um, which has just come out, which is actually uh, gives you uh, what does it give you? Uh, logic pro updated i'm sure i had a link for it somewhere oh yeah 12 core support and various other fixes and fiddles and uh pan and volume values at play at tape head i don't know exactly what that means but uh dave do you know what that means have you got it because i I can't upgrade because i'm still on 10.7.5 so i can't get logic x uh do you know it's really funny my main machine is the lappy that I'm talking to you on is Mavericks, and my main machine is still 10.6.8 because I have to use. I, I'm always having to go back in time and 
redo things and I need this archive. But as literally as you said that, this little pop-ups appeared on my main Mac that says, upgrade to Mavericks, upgrade your Mac to the latest version of OS X for free. Not now. And then the button that's highlighted is details. And as you were talking about that, I was not really listening to you. I'm sorry. I was just <laughs> wrestling with which button to push because it's a real major dilemma for me. Uh, but uh, no, we I've only uh, used Logic X for testing. I'm afraid I know very little about it other than that. Oh, well, fair enough. But it does link into the other topic, which uh, I know Mark had something to say on, and I'll just play a little bit of this. I don't know how much I can play. I guess it's an advert, so I should be able to play it, right? Well, I'm going to anyway. This has been airing in the UK. This is the sort of uh, Discover Something Great, I think it's called, and it's a bunch of people doing amazing things with apps. Um, and there's a whole list of different apps. And the thing, you know, I, I've banged on about this in the past, which is that... Um, Essentially, you know, most of the apps they're showing here, again, even now, are musical and creative. They're not, um, they're not, you know, your traditional sort of workflow enhancement things. And this is the thing that drives all of this technology. Anyway, I'll shut up now and you can hear it. Yeah, I'll probably stop now because that's probably just about enough to get me busted by the YouTube copyright police. But um, it was more about, I know, Mark, because you, you were sort of um, on one a bit about how everything seems to be becoming dumber. And this is perhaps uh, an indicator of that. I don't um, know if I've got you right. I, mean, I hope I'm not misrepresenting you. No, you're not. I mean, I've got, well, there's two things that's happening that I've noticed. The whole of the internet seems to be switching to great big flash-based graphics with about so you go to a web page you've got a whole screen filled with like five buttons and that's all you can do so that whole way of looking at things these big square kind of and i guess it's so that people can use it on mobile devices that has seems it seems to have spread or touchscreen devices it's spread onto the computer so when i i have got logic pro x when i open logic pro x and i look at it unless i buy a massive screen I can't really work on my laptop because I can't see more than a like kind of a, a few bars of my song. And everything's been dumbed down and simplified and put under like a great big button that does like I click this button and it loads like a whole EQ strip or a whole EQ path for a dirty vocal or or for a, a, I don't know, flute. We had flutes earlier on. So like you just click buttons and it brings up things. But uh, any of the kind of the core functionality seems to have got hidden away. The strength of Logic always, for me, I've had it since version 1.5, the strength of Logic is the environment. Getting at the environment now seems to be way harder. It's kind of hidden in the background. So, so we're saying Mac is more creative and the tools that Mac users get are for more creative purposes, but we're having creativity kind of homogenized. It's almost like in the same way that when I go to a shopping mall, I can almost guess the layout and what shops I'm going to go and find there. When I open my sequencer, I can guess, you know, what instruments I'm going to find there. I'm only going to end up making music in the kind of genre of the building blocks that I'm given to make music in. And then, you know, the the bigger kind of picture or the more detailed picture is completely hidden f to me and then i've got one last thing to say about apple 
<laughs> that I think what they're doing is they're upgrading way too quick. So they've got these upgrade paths for everything. So like I tried to, the reason I've got Pro X is because I'd like try to uh, try to load something from GarageBand on the iPad into Logic Pro 9, and it said you can't do this anymore. You've got to upgrade. So everything needs to upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. There's this kind of constant path of if you don't upgrade this to this, you can't do that anymore. And then same with Pages. Pages drives me nuts. They've taken half the uh, the anything that you could create in pages in terms of like designing your own layout seems to have disappeared and they've simplified it okay so it means my mum could make fabulous flyers for her village fate but if i want to do anything where i'm getting into the finer detail of it all those functions have literally been taken out of pages unless they're hidden somewhere but i don't know how to get to them so with ios they're upgrading so fast that anybody who's paid into the SDK, their $99 a year, probably can't keep up with the process. So I don't know if anyone else has noticed this as a final sort of part of this, is that all of those creative synths and apps and weird little things that do clever things in, in music are all like disappearing slowly from the iOS, uh, from the iTunes store and no longer being upgraded. And as these uh, new operating systems come out, all of those apps are sort of slowly breaking. So there was one brilliant one I had called Curtis that was a sample stretchy kind of thing. That's sort of no longer working. And, uh, you know, anyway, so so on. So Well, I suppose that, that, that isn't that that's the process to a degree of, uh, you know, they're not selling enough, so it's not worth putting any more effort into it. So, I mean, there is an element of that. I mean, I know uh, Robbie commented on this uh, topic a little bit beforehand, and one of his questions was, you know, essentially to you, Dave, you know, as a developer, would you prefer to support older OS or have to continue to develop for newer ones? Which, is, which end of the spectrum is best? Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I quite liked reading that because we've reached a point now where I'm reasonably happy, but there is a balance to be found. And I think you, know, you do have to support old OSs to a point. But you see, most of my thoughts are based on not really what goes on here because for that we have to keep up with all new iOSs but it's really what most proper pro working musicians I know use and need to continue to use in order to work and yeah. that until very recently has been 1068 yeah and like I said my main desktop is 1068 because I need access to you know I didn't I couldn't afford Final Cut Pro so I use Final Cut Express uh Red Massacre the Keymap Pro thing is absolutely essential to me uh so I need that I also need to revisit projects in exactly the same way as various bands that I work with need to keep revisiting projects to do you know a new mix for a TV sync or something like that where the money is so there needs to be this balance and sometimes I get the feeling that this kind of I, I I think I understand why companies like Apple are always, you know, like next, 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 because they employ those kind of people who mm. are always, you know, hungry for the next kind of thing or do the next thing. But I also think it's a case of the industry kind of reinvents itself, but purely for financial reasons all the time. Okay, so let's do this. Let's deprecate that. So they, all those people now have to upgrade to this and pay this, which is why I was really surprised when I got this upgrade message on my 1068 to say Mavericks for free. Uh, and I noticed, I mean, I'm going to have to make the move, or in fact, yeah. what I'm probably going to end up doing is buying another computer because What do you want to watch out for? 
I can't lose. When you get lose. Mavericks for free, Mavericks forces upgrade paths to lots of other things you've got to pay for. So you just, I don't know. Watch out. Well, it's things like yeah, suddenly, chat, suddenly, you know, Chris and I communicate all day, every day via iChat, and I'm losing that. Hmm. So, I mean, my main point is, is it a step forward to put less information on the screen in bigger blocks? Or were we better off? So here's, a, here's a, an exercise I, to try. I think I, take, your, I, take your current big screen, which is 1920 by whatever it is, pixels, plug it into a Mac running OS 9 and boot it, and then look and see how much information you can see on the screen at once about what you're working on. Then put that screen back on your modern Mac with Logic Pro X and see how much information you can see on your screen then. I, I and, think and I'm, like, you know, I'm in pretty graphics, Great big things, but absolutely no usability at all. I disagree with you completely, 100%. Excellent. I don't. I like as little information on the screen as possible. I think it's just, I, th I think, you know, if you can get at the, if you can get at the complexity and you use shortcuts and whatever to do that, the actual working screen, I want it to be as uncluttered and as. So I think that the move to Logic, I've been a real hater of Logic, but I quite like it now because of these kind of. Uh, I think it's a lot nicer environment to work in. It's more creative. It's easier. It's it's a lot easier. I used to call logic illogic because I found that the workflow was very strange and there's lots of very small, small text and little drop-down menus, of, you know. Yeah, and I, th I, like I think that. now. <laughs> so, yeah. So well, I think, I, it's, it's the but, same with iTunes. If you look at it. iTunes, they've, they've got like a whole sub-menu that's just hidden and disappeared. And the same with Firefox, actually. They've done it with Firefox. It's impossible to find the menus on anything anymore. Well, I mean, the thing, but, the, but, but, yeah, but the thing is also, you know, as music professionals or people who have a workflow and do what we do, we're constantly refining it and refining it, maybe refining our auto load so that when it comes up, it's as we expect yeah. it, we can work to it. And surely isn't what's happening is a lot of that is just being absorbed into the core basic kind of what happens when you boot the program up via Apple. I know, um, Rich, I mean, you, you kind of... You must have, you know, when you boot up Pro Tools somewhere else and it's not as you look at it, or, you know, do you know what I mean? You're, you're kind of getting it to the, the, the way that you need it to, to look. I mean, they haven't, I don't know whether, there's been various looks, they've darkified the uh, interface and what have you, but I mean, people are always going to be up, upset when the interface drastically changes because it's it, immediately things that are instinctive are no longer immediately so, right? Absolutely. Um and I have a lot to say about a lot of the points that have been made, so let me step back a few. To go to the original question of whether or not one computer is inherently more creative than the other, the answer is no. Computers are computers, and you can be creative in any one of them you choose, just as long as you are willing to navigate its own particular quirks. And now, onto those quirks. Across the length of time, Apple has gone to what I originally referred to as a shopping mall kiosk model of operating system, which is, I think, what Mark is describing, where everything is even more icon-driven, and now it's touchscreen and icon-driven, and you have a lot less available to you on the screen because those icons have to be of a certain size to be useful. And because Apple computers 
stressed ease of use for beginning users more so than their competitors. They became known as the arts computers because the arts people weren't necessarily that computer savvy, but wanted to be able to work on computers right away. So they took to the apple like, you know, a fish to water. And across a decade or a decade and a half, that became sort of entrenched in the, in the creative, quote unquote, uh, world as the computer those people use while the entire rest of the planet is using this other one over here. But the computers themselves are not creative or not or less creative. It's just that the people using them apply them in the ways that they're comfortable. Now that whole thing is starting to level off as more people become more computer savvy. And uh, Apple's gained a larger foothold, although not a majority foothold in the desktop market. And Windows is trying to gain a larger foothold in the tablet and all that other markets that Apple is killing everybody in right now. Um, so that's sort of my short synopsis. Then there was the whole thing about apps and how did apps go to a single screen interface? And we have to remember the influence of uh, Ableton Live and how it came about. And uh, shortly after it appeared with a single screen interface instead of all these multiple screens for multiple edit windows. Everybody else was writing their thing to look like that, including Logic, and Logic did that. And uh, as regards using presets, I could swear it was you who told us like a week or two ago that you were using some kind of voice preset uh, signal path on a Line 6 product. Yeah. Mark, was that, wasn't that the case? I put it Maybe. to you, Mr. Tidley. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> Didn't you say uh, that yeah, like a week know. or two ago? <laughs> I was Busted. saying that, but... I want to have the choice. I don't want to be forced to use that that path. And actually, finding the plugins in Pro X has been like really discombobulating. I'm going to use that. But you that can word, modify so. what they give. You use it as a starting oh, yeah, point, just, like any other oh, preset you've I ever called up. Yeah, but I think that's I think that's what I was saying about you know that's that you know unfamiliarity. It just kind of you think, oh god, this is in the way. I just want to put like a four bar beat down and thrash this idea I've got out, and it but, but I can't because I have to figure out where all this stuff is. You know, but here's another thing: um, if you look at the support, the level of support for creative products. So it, in the Apple world, we've got the iOS devices, and then we've got all these people writing these nifty little synths and things for ios and they're kind of fun but they're not very integratable and i having just switched back to the pc what i've noticed about the pc is that in terms of the creative people who support the things in terms of creative people who are creating uh, software plugins and stuff there's thousands and thousands of vst plugins that do all sorts of weird things that I, I look at them and i think oh hang on a minute that looks like unbelievably useful so there's clever people out there who are creative who are creating solutions to everyday studio problems and coming up with really good ways of doing it and then only making that available for VST because they've maybe done it in synth edit or something. And you can still play Go VSTs in, uh, in, you know, in Mac and certainly in Reaper or use VSTs and there are, well, and I think doesn't, Mac Ableton, yes, well, that's true, but that's yeah, a sure. separate. Ableton does. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of things on the PC that just aren't possible on the Mac, I've noticed. And then if you know, I wanted to be if I want to be creative with those things on the Mac, I can't. Well, I have to run an emulator. Yeah. Just, I think uh, it sounds like something I, I think it sounds like Reaper is the software for you though, Mark, to be honest. <laughs> Go guess. Because I agree. Reaper. I'm I'm really getting into Reaper. I'm I'm dropping <laughs> logic. I'm going with Reaper. I'm using Ableton more. I'm using Reaper. Um 
those are kind of my two at the moment, I think. Reaper is sort of the most cutting edge DAW out there. And well, is that still is that still being developed at the same sort of pace that it was when I, I jumped on for? I haven't it's, upgraded for ages. It's brilliant. It is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Oh, do you know what? And I I was at somebody's house the other day, and I told them that they should be using Reaper and installed it on their machine, showed it to them, and everything. They had a Windows 8.1 computer with a touch screen. I reached out and I went like this. Then I thought, oh, no, of course that won't work, and it did. And it, it's all, loads of it is touchscreen enabled as well. So they're way ahead of the curve on loads of these things. So, yeah, yeah Reaper, yeah. Well, definitely there we go. brilliant. Can I just bring this to a close? Yes. With something, yeah. with something I put on Facebook today. It was actually, it's actually taken from the Daily Mash, which I love. And it was that Apple have admitted that the iWatch is never going to happen because it was the result of a Thursday night pub crawl. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. If if only that were true, wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Fantastic. Um, That's excellent. I don't know if anybody um, uh, got my email about tips. I don't know whether, because it seemed to go down very well last week, but uh, I understand if if it's not been, uh, nobody has anything prepared, we can perhaps do it another time. But that's, uh, so it's not so much of it. Although I have one. uh, the one tip that I had was uh, this was something I was doing. I was using the Jupiter Six for a load of uh, parts, playing into a DAW of my choice, which was in fact uh, Logic, probably at the time. And uh, I couldn't automate some stuff, so I just opened the filter right up and then automated a plugin filter across it, so I could get it all in time and stuff. And that's so you just use the raw waveforms, play it in, and then affect the audio, automate it with additional plugins, which is you know fairly basic stuff, but you know. It's something. Um, I got one. Oh, got okay. One. If you're working on a song and it's lacking vibe, everything sort of seems to be in the right place from a mix point of view, but it's just lacking some sort of, you know, sex factor. You know, the thing is missing, the mojo. Then a really cool thing is make a mix down of the song, but import that mix back into your song and make, and then maybe duplicate that mix about five or six times. Chuck it into a, a folder if you've got that facility on your DAW. Otherwise, mute the tracks. Uh, well, solo them one at a time and process apply them with like heavy amounts of processing, like maybe like really, really thin it out with an EQ or filter. Or on another track, add loads of um, flanger or something, you know, just... Just mess up each one and then keep them muted. Then, as you're playing your track, unmute them one at a time and just just uh, just ride the fader up just a little bit and just try it. And and by having the effect across the whole mix, it just does strange things as you pull it in, and maybe you find the mojo that way. Uh, okay, that's good. I remember in the old days it used to be pull all the faders down and start again. <laughs> it's not happening. I'm going to pull all the faders down and everyone will go. <gasps> No, but yeah, uh, <laughs> you remember that, Mark? Uh, that moment. I do indeed. Yeah. Um, I think turning things off is sometimes the key because you've got to try and ascertain what the most important part of the thing that you're working on is. And and I, I, I mean, I tend to start off with something. I've got like a picture in my mind, or maybe it's not a picture. It's a sound. I can kind of create sound in my mind. So I. I create this idea of what it's going to sound like. I start working on it, and it just goes in a totally different direction. And then if I can work out 
if I can go back to the beginning, remember what it was that I was trying to create and then switch everything off and then bring in only those elements of, at which fit my uh, mental picture of it. And then it's you'd always be willing to discard things. I mean, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this. I'm like, I'm like a digital hoarder. <laughs> I have songs with a hundred tracks in them with all little snippets and things where I've tried sketching out ideas and then I've gone, well, oh, that's not quite working. But then I keep it in and turn it down and then think, oh, it needs something else. It needs something else. It needs something else. It needs something else. It's like be willing to get rid of things that are sketches and try and only keep in the things which fulfill the original song's purpose. And by purpose, I mean the original uh and it's not visualized, the must audioized. Right. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, that'll do. <laughs> the original concept that you audioized, uh, try and keep the elements that do that and then keep trying to work towards that. Um, all the other stuff that comes along the way, yeah, great. I mean, use that for the remix maybe, but try and try and create the thing the way you saw it when you started. Ah, oh, that's a wise words indeed. And if anyone else wants to chip in or whether uh, I should um, work on rounding up now, um, speak or forever hold your peace. Um, it's quarter past five on uh, Wednesday afternoon. I've got to go and watch my daughter perform in a uh, recorder recital um, a little bit later. So I'm going to have to chip off. Uh, and uh, so I want to say oh, thank God. Thanks to everybody for joining us. I very much uh, appreciate it. Before we go, I think I should just reiterate the uh, uh, the isotope competition. Remember, you can win isotope iris, hashtag synthesize anything, uh, and at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. If you basically, if your tweet is just that, that would be enough. But feel free to add comments as well. It's always nice to get a bit of comments or maybe a link to the show as well because then it gets, uh, gets the word out there. But uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been a pleasure as ever. Um, so we'll start with um, saying goodbye to you, Dave. Thank you very much for joining us. I uh, appreciate it and I uh, hope it's cooled down in your room. The fan in your MacBook has stopped. Uh, at least your uh, A to Z of synthesizers hasn't spontaneously combusted as it lifted some of the laminate off the... Um... <laughs> Actually, Pete, Fe Pete Forrest is coming here tomorrow. Really? Is he? Yes, he's, he's dropping off something that we bought at Vimeo. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Have some self-control, man. <laughs> Have you seen that little cartoon, that, that little meme that's doing the round, and it's like a P Pinocchio with a sort of big nose, and it's just got the caption, I will not buy any more gear. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I, well, I, I, I mean, I can talk. I bought the Intelligel Atlantis um, that we had in for review and I can't stop myself and I've got a couple of other things to go. But uh, I'm really hankering after a microbrute. Um, I don't know why. I just feel I would really would like to have one. Uh, there's Rich Hilton nodding glad. away. Yes, I, well, I've had one in the, in the building before. Yes. Rich has still got his with him. Oh, he's just picking... Ah, oh, look at that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Rich, thank you also for joining us as well. Uh, Hiltonius.com, and uh, I'm guessing he's off to the studio to wax a hottie or plan some kind of international <laughs> travel. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'm going to Telefunken Microphones today. Ah, okay, because they're with basically... My son, with my son, the audio student musician guy. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoy that. That sounds fun. Thanks. 
Um, and thank you very much to Gaz Williams, gazwilliams.me. We'll see you later in the week for our Bitwig Fest. Mm. Um, and yes, I don't know if you actually saw that uh, since last week we posted the Nectar Panorama P4 with Bitwig um, uh, as well. So if you want to see any more of that action, please carry on. But anyway, Gaz, thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. And finally, Mr. Mark Tinley uh, there in his radio studio. Those chaps, you know, those chaps in the chat room have made me think about something else. Okay. They're talking about Motorola chips and PowerPC. And so I think another thing that happens if you're on the Mac platform is that Mac or Apple, not deliberately, from time to time, Apple pull the rug out from under your feet and leave you with no... no route uh, back for backwards compatibility and with the pc there always seems that i can run uh, in windows 8.1 i can run everything in compatibility mode back to windows 95 and yeah, it seems to absolutely. work quite well uh whereas with mac they run along for a while they're going like oh we've got this processor and suddenly then they've got uh, they go oh we're going to switch everything to power pc this is the way to go and then we had to all our programs broke basically <laughs> Yeah, do well, I do. I, I do. The eighties, the beginning of the nineties, just everything stopped working or worked really slow. I like do remember that. The mouth, and then we did that for a while, and then they did exactly the same with the Intel processors, and then they dropped Rosetta. Now I think they dropped Rosetta way too fast, because if you look at XP, and the support for XP just ended after fifteen years. If I look at my uh, my Mac that runs Rosetta. Uh, that's six years old, so I think they they killed it after about six or seven years. I think, and if anybody's you know bought into that and they're running a business of it, uh, you're in serious trouble if you're running a business off a computer that's no longer supported after six years. It's it's just you know, yeah, naughty or very naughty Apple. <laughs> well, uh, on that final word, um, appreciate that. Thank you very much. I uh, also want to say there is no live show next week. I'm hoping we will have an interview with uh, Mr. Axel Hartman, who is a synth, uh, synth industrial designer specialising in synth GUIs and user interface and what have you. So I'm hoping we have that online by the time because I'm going to be away for a couple of days next week. So there will be no results for the competition this week. But the week after, uh, hopefully I'll have a result for two lots of competitions, if you see what I mean. So uh, I want to say thank you very much uh, to everybody for joining us. And I'm going to play out, actually, because I found this audio demo of um, uh, some more. This this was the, the tenor sax from the same uh, guys the um, that did the flutes. So that's uh, sample modelling. And I'll see if I play that, and then I'll do a fade out. So I'll play that now. saxophone here of course but i think it comes in a bit (laughs) great orchestration i don't know if this is all sample libraries it sounds fantastic there it is lovely this is by van hewson and burke performed by iwan roth using the sm swam tenor saxophone (laughs) 